At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the Word of God in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk. If you find Ezekiel and Daniel, Habakkuk's to the right of that. If you get to Jonah, Micah, Nahum, the next stop is on the book of Habakkuk. Have you ever wondered in your life, what is God doing? Why does he permit certain things to happen, especially when life is hard and harsh and unstable and unsettling? When circumstances are crashing in on us and we are disoriented and we are discouraged and emotions propel us to anxiety and despair and frustration and fear. I don't have to tell any of you that we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and fear is on the prowl. There's a sense of vulnerability that is spiked in our life. We are accustomed to having a reasonably stable life. But now we fear for our own health, physically and psychologically. We fear for our families and friends. We fear for our food supply. We fear for our jobs and even our future in school. And then we also have fear of a future financial security we may or may not have. What is God doing? Why does he allow this? Why does it often seem that he is silent? You know, personally, beyond these disorienting circumstances of the coronavirus, uh, the extended family world that I live in really had an additional adventure. And in that additional adventure, it involved Rob and Laurie Koff, who are part of our outreach team here at Wildwood. And uh, Laurie is my youngest sister. And they're involved in ministry in Michigan with Nancy DeMoss, Wogamuth, and Life Action. But on April the 1st, Rob passed out in the warehouse. He ended up completely coding out four times. He had to be revived through CPR and shock. He had a blocked stent in his heart, and he ended up having a new stent and a pacemaker and a defibrillator installed. And in the midst of all that, I know my sister Laurie and all of us were saying, what is God doing? Why does he allow this? I mean, after all, they're serving the Lord in ministry. But against all odds, actually, according to the doctors, Rob made it through. And I was talking to Rob, and I mentioned to Rob that in times like this with the coronavirus and everything they had gone through, this is a great time for a series on the book of Habakkuk. And I mentioned to Rob that I had never preached on Habakkuk. And Rob said to me, oh, yes, you did, Bruce, back in the 1980s. He said, I have never forgotten it, and there is great truth to be found in the book of Habakkuk. So I had to go back and check my records, and indeed, in February of 1986, on Sunday nights, when we used to meet on Sunday nights at the time, we had gone through the book of Habakkuk, but I'd forgotten about it. It was 34 years ago. But Rob believes, and, and I believe, that Habakkuk has a message and a perspective that we all need. So what we want to do Today is we want to begin with an orientation to Habakkuk. And the first thing we see is it is one of the minor prophets. It is a short book 
from the most obscure part of the Old Testament, an unexplored wilderness in the Bible for many. Now, when we say it is a minor prophet, that doesn't mean it was unimportant or there was nothing significant in it. It simply means that it is shorter in length than many of the other prophets. And I think if you're all honest, many of us are unsure of the difference, really, between Habakkuk and, and Haggai. You know, it's interesting. Someone once asked a random group of folks, what does the word Habakkuk mean? Some of them said, well, I, I think it's the name of a back disease, you know, Habakkuk. Uh, someone else said, no, it sounds like something that you would smoke. <laughs> and then someone actually said, well, Habakkuk is the devastating result of a failure to carpool. Well, <laughs> there's all kinds of ideas out there about what Habakkuk means. The second thing that we want to look at is that it is actually the name of the author of the book. And you know, Habakkuk, it's, it's a very rare name. I mean, how many of you who are parents out there, when you were going to have a son, were thinking of naming that son Habakkuk? We just didn't do that. And what, what is Habakkuk and who is Habakkuk? Well, we learn from chapter 1 and verse 1 that he is a prophet. He is a spokesman for God. And he has an oracle that he shares in the book, which is a message that God helped him to put together. We also learn from chapter 3 and verse 19 that he was a musician. Uh, he, in chapter 3, has a whole prayer that he puts to music. In other words, Habakkuk really was like the Greg Hill of Wildwood. Literally, the name Habakkuk, if you just take the name literally, it means to embrace. Habak in Hebrew means to embrace. So his name means one who embraces and as we work through the whole book, I think we're going to see it's best to understand his name as signifying one who embraces and clings to God and to his promises. Hey, if you have ever wondered, where are you, God? If you've ever wondered, are you listening? How long do I have to pray about this? Why are you allowing what you are allowing? Then you will be encouraged by the book of Habakkuk. As we continue our orientation, we want to ask ourselves the question, why should we study a 2,600-year-old book? And I think the answer for us is really given to us in the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter number 15 and verse 4. It says there, whatever was written in earlier times. Now, some of you who are younger, think with me. What does it mean in earlier times? What's that referring to? Well, it's referring to the Old Testament. It's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures. And you know, there is this mistaken myth that seems to be at large out there in general in the church at large that says that the Old Testament is irrelevant. It's not irrelevant at all. It was written for us for a particular reason. And Romans 15 tells us why. It was written for our instruction. Now again, some of us who are younger who are listening, what does that mean? It was written for our instruction instruction. It means that we're to learn from it. We're to gain perspective from it. That's part of the reason why it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, verse 16, that all scripture is inspired and is profitable to learn from. And then Romans 15, 4 goes on to say, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The idea is that these stories and events in the Old Testament are to help catalyze 
our perseverance, or if you prefer the word endurance. And it is to help us establish our hope as we face life circumstances. Now, as we continue our orientation, we want to just give us a little bit of historical background on the book. If you know your Old Testament history, you know that at one point, the nation of Israel split into two. The northern group, 10 tribes, was called Israel. The southern group, two tribes, was called Judah. And 100 years before Habakkuk was written, the 10 tribes were carried off by Assyria and scattered around the world. And so now when he writes, he's writing to the southern kingdom of Judah, the two remaining tribes. And what was happening in Judah is they hadn't really learned from what happened to the 10 tribes in the north. And the culture was sliding downward. Now he's going to share some of that. And as we share that, I just want you to think about this. Does any of this sound familiar to us in our culture today? In Judah, there was a sharp spiritual decline taking place. There was surging immorality, ungodliness, and selfishness. Sin was spreading in the nation like a flooding river. Doesn't that sound at all familiar to what we're experiencing? Much of the natural, uh, the national leadership was corrupt and inept. Uh, People were flagrantly violating God's truth with really no fear of divine intervention. There was a decline in the nation politically, morally, economically, spiritually. And to Habakkuk, God appeared to be asleep on the job. But the truth is, right? God is never asleep on the job. Now, I want to lay out for us a outline of the book of Habakkuk. I have entitled the series Anchored, and you can see here that it divides into two sections. You have chapters one and two, and then you have chapter three. In chapters one and two, we have Habakkuk's perplexity. In chapter three, we have Habakkuk's praise. In chapters one and two, the focus is on life's problems. In chapter three, the focus is in God's person. And we can break down the first two chapters this way. We have Habakkuk's first complaint in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. We have God's first answer in chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. We have a second complaint by Habakkuk in chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And then we have a second answer from God, which is all of chapter 2. And then if we're going to break down chapter 3, we can break it into two sections In the first 15 verses of chapter 3, we have God's sovereign power and glory. And then in verses 16 to 19 of chapter 3, we have Habakkuk's position of trust. Now, what is really interesting is the book of Habakkuk starts and ends in different ways. You'll notice it starts with Habakkuk perplexed, and it ends with Habakkuk praising. It starts with confusion, ends with confidence. It begins with emotional despair, ends with spiritual rest, it begins with fear, it ends with faith, it begins with anguish, and ends with adoration, it begins with wondering, and it ends with worship. Now, how do you go from that to this? What's involved in all of that? Well, what occurs from the beginning to the end is divine perspective that Habakkuk gains from God as he interacts with him. Now, the title I've given to the message today is this, Where Are You 
God. And we're going to look at complaint number one by Habakkuk, and then we're going to look at answer number one by God. And I would like to read the first 11 verses and invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Begin saying this, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save or deliver. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And God's response to Habakkuk, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. So let's look at complaint number one in verses two to four of chapter one. Notice he says there in verse 2, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you not hear? What was he really saying? He was saying, Where are you, Lord? He was saying to God, I'm in distress here. I am disheartened. I am overwhelmed. And it just seems to me, God, that you are indifferent to my situation. I want to notice a couple of things about this. First of all, will you notice that this was not the first time that Habakkuk brought this issue to the Lord? Remember, he says, how long am I going to keep praying about this? I have prayed and I have prayed and all I seem to hear are crickets. He felt like God was indifferent and inactive. Have you ever cried out to God for help and it just seemed like God didn't hear The second thing I want you to notice about this is that what he was experiencing and what we experience is just a common experience. In fact, we learn from David in Psalm 13. He expressed this same idea. He said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's how he felt. How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I experience sorrow in my heart all the day? It's a common experience that people who know God will have from time to time. Even think about the Lord Jesus on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He just felt like God wasn't there for him. 
What was happening here with this complaint? Well, Habakkuk was distressed, as many of us are, I think, now, with the crumbling culture around him in his country, with the ever-growing bad news. And he says there in verse 2, I I cried out, violence. You ever feel like saying that now in our culture? Violence, if we take time to look at it, it's all around us, all around us. You know, the last year you could calculate the number of abortions in the United States of America was 2017. You know how many there were? This is startling when you think about it. 862,000 in one year in our country. That's nearly one quarter of Oklahoma's population in one year. Worldwide, it has been estimated in 2019, 42.4 million abortions. I mean, there's violence all around us. And we could talk about the mass shootings that are out there. We could talk about the terrorist threats that are out there. We could talk about the sex trafficking that is out there and the violence towards females and children. He says, I cry out violence, and yet you're not delivering me. You don't seem to be acting. Notice he says in in verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? What does iniquity mean? Well, it means sinful behavior. I'm having to observe and watch all this happening around. There's wickedness out there. He says in verse 3, there is destruction and violence and strife and contention. And, And we're seeing that even in our culture now. There's a lot of gory violence and overt wickedness in the movies that are being churned out in Hollywood. We see unbridled strife and conflict in the political realm. Is that not true? And we've seen just the ugliness of some racial unrest that's been going on recently. You know, sometimes Janet and I talk about it, and she doesn't really feel comfortable being alone at night. Isn't that amazing to think about? We have the drug culture mushrooming. We have the COVID-19 virus on the loose. Why is God allowing these things? Does he really care? What is he doing? Notice one of the results in verse 4. He says, the law ends up being ignored. The NIV says paralyzed. Literally in Hebrew, it means it is numbed. Violent offenders we see in our own culture are being released. Criminals and gangs are crossing our borders. He goes on to say, it seems that the wicked are surrounding the righteous. Do you ever feel a little bit outnumbered, you know, and being ridiculed by everyone around us for following Jesus, feeling hemmed in by all of that? And he goes on to say, justice comes out perverted, which means bent and twisted, Reminds me of what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 when he talked about those in the culture of the day. There were some who called evil good and good evil. Those who called darkness light and light darkness. We're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing marijuana being promoted under the guise of medicine. We're seeing pornography not only promoted but defended. And now we see public schools and colleges, many of them attempting to stamp out a biblical viewpoint from our culture. What really Habakkuk was saying was this, my world seems to be decaying from the inside out. He was asking the question, God, why don't you do something? Why is this happening to me? Where are you, God? I'm suffering. 
I'm distressed. Why do you seem to be indifferent and inactive? He was really saying to God, don't just sit on the throne, Lord. Do something. Which then leads us to the first answer to this complaint that God gives in verses 5 to 11. Now, I want you to notice a couple things again before we get into these verses. Did you notice that God does not chastise Habakkuk here? You know, Habakkuk didn't go off just to sort of whine to himself and stew in his juices someplace. He didn't go around complaining to others about the Lord. He took his frustrations directly to the Lord. And that is really the thrust that we see in the Bible. You know, King David in Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden upon the Lord. Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7 said, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. That's what God wants us to do, and that's exactly what Habakkuk did. Second thing I want you to notice before God really answers is our own tendency, Habakkuk's own tendency. And our own tendency is to focus on the small story, to focus on our life, to focus on our circumstances. But what we're going to learn is that God is always seeing the bigger story. And uh, here's the idea. Here's the thing we all need to remember, that God is looking at the biggest picture of all. (laughs) He is at work at all times. Just as we were singing, he is always at work. He is at work in our town. He is at work in our country. He is at work in the world. He is managing the universe. We have this tendency to look at the small story, and God is always looking at the bigger story. You know, you see this illustrated in the Apostle Paul's life when he ended up being imprisoned and he ended up being chained to a guard. Now, some of us feel like we've been imprisoned a lot recently, uh, but hopefully you haven't been chained up to someone in your home. But that's what was happening to Paul. And and he could have just lamented that. You know, I I really want to be out there. I want to be in the synagogue. I want to be talking to people about Jesus, and here I am in prison, and I'm chained up to someone. I can't go anywhere. But you know what Paul did? He then stepped back, and he began to look at the bigger picture. You can read about it in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, and he goes on to say there, my circumstances, oh, there was a bigger picture at work. You can read about that. I would encourage you to go to Philippians 1, 12 to 18, and read about how Paul handled all of that. Well, when we come to verse 5 in the book of Habakkuk, what we see here are some commands, four of them rapid fire in a row, but what's interesting is they're all plural commands. In other words, what God was communicating in these four commands is he's not just talking to Habakkuk. He's talking to you, and he's talking to me, and he's talking to the rest of the people that were in the nation. So the first thing he says, talking to all of them, look if we would, you all. Look at the bigger picture. Look beyond our own world. Second thing he says to them is, I want you to observe. I want you to contemplate. I want you to reflect. I want you to ponder. And then he says this, be astonished. It's a very interesting term here, be astonished. It's the exact same term that is used 
in the book of Genesis in chapter number 43 with Joseph and his brothers. You remember how Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. He ended up being the right-hand man to Pharaoh. But his brothers didn't know who he was. And they come seeking food in Egypt. And when they come into the presence of Joseph, there is a little banquet set out there, and the name tags are for all the brothers, and each of the brothers was seated in their birth order. And it says the brothers, when they saw that, were astonished. How in the world? This doesn't make any sense to us. And that's what God says. His ways are higher than our ways. And then the fourth thing God says is wonder. Wonder why? Because I am doing something. And when he says there, I'm doing something, it's the the term that would describe what a craftsman does when he is making a product. The whole idea is that really what God was communicating here is now in the midst of all this chaos you see around, I am at work. We could write over it, I am always at work. God is always at work. Again, we worshiped singing that principle. And really what he is saying to Habakkuk, to Habakkuk and to all of us is you're really not going to believe. I mean, you're going to struggle to process what I am doing. And he goes on to say there in, in verse 6, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, the word Chaldeans is a synonym for the Babylonians, Why do we use the term Chaldeans? Where the Chaldeans were the ruling class in the Babylonian Empire. And he says, I'm going to be raising up these Chaldeans. Now now remember, the people of Judah had been making bad choices. They had been drifting in their relationship with God. They were deserving of some discipline from the Lord. But they could never even imagine that God's tool for that discipline and judgment would be the Chaldeans. Just to give you a feel for that, if you imagine us in a Western culture, we were a nation because of our drifting from God deserved some judgment, and God said, you know what I'm going to send to you? I'm going to send to you the equivalent of the Nazis who are going to come upon you. In the following verses, there are 20-plus descriptives here of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Notice verse 6, he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration about how fearful they were that came a few years later when Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, took King Zedekiah of Judah. Now, I know for, for those of us who are a little bit younger, this is a little hard to believe that someone could be this mean and this evil. But what Nebuchadnezzar did is he took all the sons of King Zedekiah, and actually, if you can, it's hard to believe this, he actually killed all of those sons right in front of Zedekiah. And then, to top it all off, he then gouged out the eyes of Zedekiah. So the last thing he would have ever seen would be the execution of his sons. Now that really is evil and dark. In verse 7, he says, justice and authority originate from themselves. Uh, They decide for themselves what is right and wrong. There's no sense of accountability that they have. He says there in verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. 
Um, that phrase, keener than wolves in the evening, in the margin of the New American Standard, it says they are more eager to attack than wolves in the evening. They are like an eagle swooping down. They're unstoppable. They collect captives, verse 9, like sand. Verse 10, they mock at kings and rulers. To them, they are a laughing matter. One of the things the Chaldeans, the Babylonians would do is that when they captured another king, they would put them in cages and parade them around. It says in verse 11, they will sweep through like the wind. The picture is like we know in Oklahoma, that of a tornado. They're just going to come in like a tornado. But then you'll notice in in verse 11, the latter part of it, it says, but they will be held guilty. They will be held accountable, God says. The final verdict on that is already settled. We're going to look at that more detail next time. This answer from God raises a second question that he's going to ask, and that is, Lord, how could you do that? That seems to be inconsistent with a good and a holy God. Now, we've covered a lot of ground so far today, but we do want to take a few moments to look at some life response that we can have to what we've looked at. And the first life response is very simple. It's remember God is always at work. And what I would encourage you to do, even at home as you're listening and watching to this, would be to take some time and list all of the events and list all of the hard things in your life and all of the concerns that you have. Make a list of them and then across the top, write the words, God is at work. He is working on a bigger story. He's not an unconcerned spectator at all. So the first life response is remember that God is always at work. The second life response is to run to him in prayer. That's what we should do when we're distressed, when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, when we're confused. We need to seek and keep on seeking the Lord. It's encouraging to be reminded of what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where he writes, Come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's what God wants us to do. To focus not on the circumstances which may be squishing us, to focus not on things which are fleeting and temporary, but to focus on him. More than 200 years ago, there was a hymn written entitled, How Firm a Foundation. And I think the words of this hymn would be very encouraging to us right now, so I want to just read through them. Here's what it says. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to, to, than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. The song goes on to say, I'll strengthen you, help you, cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. 
the soul that on Jesus has leaned to repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. These are encouraging words, friends. And then the hymn ends this way. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us your truth in the word of God, like the book of Habakkuk. And we know it's not just some old document, it's actually you speaking not only in the Old Testament era, but to us today. And we just thank you so much for all that you teach us through all these things. Lord, we get confused. We're we're, we're twisted around. We don't understand what's happening in our culture. We sometimes wonder why you're not doing things differently. But may we never forget that you are always at work. And may we never forget that though all hell should endeavor to shake, you will never No, never, no, never forsake us. We are so grateful for that today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. 